You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Boston Loose Baseball, episode 65 is a big one. We are getting ready for the Major League Baseball draft on Sunday. It's a massive draft for the Nationals. And right at the top of the board in the first round, they're picking number two overall. So we're going to preview that pick in the first round and just why this is such a significant couple of days for the Nats coming up on Boston Loose Baseball. You will hear from Kyle Glazer of Baseball America, who's got thoughts on what's going to happen at number one with the Pirates, number two for the Nationals, and as the draft goes on. All coming up right now on Bustin' Loose Baseball. Let's get it started. Bustin' Loose Baseball, hosted by Grant Paulson and Toby Altizer, gives you in-depth analytics and interviews on everything baseball in the nation's capital. Now, here's your host, Grant Paulson and Toby Altizer. Brent Paulson, Toby Altizer, BLB episode 65, and we have finally gotten to the week of the Major League Baseball draft. In fact, as we tape this, it's Thursday. I'm getting ready to fly out to Seattle on Friday. I've got some futures game coverage of James Wood and Brady House on Saturday that I'm doing in Seattle at the ballpark. I'll be in the dugout with the National League team with those guys, so that'll be fun. And then on Sunday, uh, anchoring the Major League Baseball draft show for MLB Network Radio, but, Toby, this is going to be such a giant night for the Nationals. Yeah, I'm excited about it because when you think about what we've watched this week at the at Nationals Park, Ellie De La Cruz coming into town and he's all the hype. I'm excited for the Nationals to have that kind of hype again. And the Nationals might be getting that kind of guy at the second pick, whether it's Skeens, whether it's Cruz. Maybe Cruz is an Ellie De La Cruz type of ceiling but he could be a spectacular player for you for years to come and if they draft skeins i I think we've already laid this out plenty of times i mean this guy is going to be someone that the ballpark's going to fill up every single time he takes the mound especially that first season you know his debut is going to be on mlb network everyone's going to want to watch this guy because you know he's got strasburg type hype and we remember exactly what strasburg's debut was like everyone around the country realized that Strasburg was coming up. They wanted to watch that debut. It kind of put the Nationals on the map. Same thing happened with Harper. I'm excited about this because you get that added with James Wood in the minor league system, and you got to be excited about the Nationals getting to add one of those guys in just a couple of days. Yeah, there's a real good chance that James Wood debuts by the end of this season, but if he were to debut next year, he would debut in the season in which Cruz or Skeens is going to. So you'd have two kind of massive can't-miss days at the ballpark. Uh, next season. Either way, Wood's going to become an everyday player next year, and Skeens is going to become a member of the rotation, or Cruz is going to become a member of the outfield unless the Nats do something crazy and go off the board and go with a high schooler that nobody sees coming. But I would say the chances of that are about 1%. So let's get into the very top of the draft. The Pirates pick number one 
Most mocks have them going with Dylan Cruz, the bat at LSU. He's going to stay in center field. Dylan Cruz, if you look at the profile this season, we'll just give you the detailed breakdown here right out of the shoot. Uh, this is the best hitter in the country. Mom, Kim, a nurse. Dad, George, a George owns commercial printing business. Best player in this draft class. Best batter in the nation. College World Series champion. Just wrapped that up as a junior. He won the Golden Spikes Award, basically the, the Heisman Trophy in college baseball. Back-to-back years, the SEC Player of the Year in the best conference in the country. He slashed 426, 567, 713, tied for the D1 lead. He had 71 walks and just 46 strikeouts this season. Uh, this is a couple years after he was the National Freshman of the Year, led SEC with 163 total bases, and set the school record as a freshman with 18 home runs. Then he came back as a sophomore and hit 22 bombs and entered the year as, as maybe the favorite to go at the top of the draft board. He was in the first-round mix as a high schooler in Florida, uh, ended up withdrawing his name from the draft in the pandemic year in 2020 because everything was quirky, went to college instead. There's just no flaws, really. I mean, there are things he does average, but there's nothing really below average. He's got foot speed. He's going to stay in center field. He gets on base. You know, he's graded as having a 70 hit tool by MLB Pipeline. It's probably 60 power, 60 run, uh, 55 arm and 55 field. So it's five tools. He's a champion player. There just aren't many flaws, and that's why there's a real good chance he goes 1-1. If the Pirates decide they're going to take Skeens, though, he would fall into the Nats' lap. Yeah, and that's something that we had talked about plenty leading up to this a couple of weeks ago. I think it was pretty much a given that Dylan Cruz was going to go number one. The Nationals would probably take Paul Skeens at that point. But we've seen various reports, some saying that you know Scott Boris maybe doesn't want to go to uh, Pittsburgh with Dylan Cruz or various other things that keep coming out, whether the Pirates want to go under slot, so they maybe go with Skeens or they go with a high schooler. So I don't know exactly, but we've had this discussion plenty of times, and so I just assumed Cruz would go one, and so I'd kind of given the thought that, all right, the Nationals are taking Skeens and hadn't really even thought about the fact that Cruz could come to the Nationals. Now that you look at it, I think if I had to choose between the two, just hearing how you've talked about them, listening to those numbers every single time you throw them out, it's just absurd. I kind of wish that he would fall to the Nationals at two. That'd be <laughs> my choice between the two because you get a guy that you can throw in center field or at worst one of the corner outfield spots and you just leave him there for a decade and never have to worry about him. And the, the question I have for you, Grant, is we've talked about this just a little bit before. But is it is he an MVP type ceiling? Is he a perennial All Star type ceiling? Because obviously those numbers in college are MVP type numbers, but he's they that's are. probably not going to translate all the way to the Major League Baseball. Obviously, so do you think he's an MVP type or just more of the perennial All Star? I would say more of an All Star player if I had to kind of peg this. I mean, he lacks to me like big time power. Wyatt Langford's a guy that I could see, you know, hitting thirty plus homers, driving in. 115 maybe out of Florida. I think he's a terrific offensive player. You put him in a corner, he's probably going to go third overall to the Tigers. He's the only other guy I would say that would even be a consideration for the Nationals at number two. But I think Cruz is just a really safe high floor player. I, I say that, and I still believe when it comes to these elite pitchers like Strasburg and Cole, and I would say Skeens, there's less risk. There's less guesswork. Like there's a better chance somehow Dylan Cruz misses. Think about how we talked about Spencer Torkelson when he was the number one pick in the draft as this can't miss power bat and how pedestrian he's been 
with the Tigers, despite moving through the minor leagues and hitting in the minor leagues pretty consistently. Um, so I'm not, I don't like to pretend like there's no way that guys don't become studs, but it, to me, it looks like Dylan Cruz pretty safely ends up being an everyday center fielder who gets on base and hits for a decent average. So I would say like, I heard a comp of, of maybe like as I don't want to say worst case, but like as a, uh, conservative thought like Brian Reynolds of the Pirates, right? Who has played in an All Star game? Who is a career uh, two eighty hitter? Who has hit twenty four homers each of the last two years and is on pace for twenty more this year? Like I, I think if Brian Reynolds was a you know more fleet footed like base stealing uh, traditional on base top of the order type guy, he's a career eight forty OPS. I think that works. Although Dylan Cruz to me is going to steal, especially in today's baseball with the rules, like 15, maybe 20 bags a year. And, and that's not the case with Reynolds. But I think the ceiling is much higher than that. I think you could have an annual all-star. Like to me, I mean, it, it's very possible that he ends up making several all-star teams in Washington. And, you know, Trey Turner, even though he wasn't a big power guy, like was an MVP caliber player at one point. Anthony Rendon had one of those years. So I think he could, you know, max out and be in the conversation. I just, I don't think we're talking about like you referenced Ellie De La Cruz earlier. It's not that or Ronald Acuna or anything. I don't, I don't think the tools are that loud, but let's say the pirates take him and the Nats get schemes. Let's talk Paul schemes for just a second. Um, and then we can get into what they would do if they're choosing between the two, which frankly is my least favorite thing that could happen on yeah. draft night. Schemes is 21 years old. He's right-handed. He's six, six, two thirty-five. He was on that LSU team that won the title. In fact, he pitched them to the College World Series. There was a start in the postseason where he threw 46 pitches 100 miles an hour or harder. He is the hardest-throwing amateur starter probably ever, certainly that I've ever covered. Uh, Craig and Karen Skeens, sisters Lauren and Kristen. We got the party ready to go at the Skeens house, family of five. Uh, Skeens reservation at Outback, table of five. This is a military family. He went to Air Force. His uncles Mike and Pete were in the Navy. His uncle Dave was in the Coast Guard. Uh, he went to Air Force initially before transferring to LSU. I heard a great quote from uh, his head coach, Jay Johnson, who said he's Max Scherzer, but he prepares like a Navy SEAL. That's kind of badass. Uh, this is the best college starter since Garrett Cole. I think in digging deep into this, Strasburg and Cole had better secondary, deeper arsenals. Um, not to say that the slider for Skeens isn't every bit as good as any of their secondary pitches, but those guys were working with four pitches in college. Skeens is fastball, slider, changeup, and the changeup he doesn't throw a ton. But it's about the velocity and the command. Like, he does those two things so well. He's got the best fastball in the class. He's got the best slider in the class. And he just had a college season that was historical. He made 19 starts. He pitched to a sub-170 ERA, 122 innings, 72 hits and 20 walks, 209 strikeouts, and a 165 average against. He set the SEC strikeout record. He obliterated the field in college baseball for punchies on the season. He was the SEC Pitcher of the Year, obviously, led Division One in strikeouts, uh, as I mentioned, with a 15.3K per nine rate. His whip was .75. I, I like how good the slider got this year. I think it's ridiculous. Uh, and, and you know what's funny, Toby? No one ever talks about this. He's probably the best two-way player in this draft. He was a catcher at Air Force who hit bombs. He actually said in an interview this week he wants to try to hit professionally. But if he was able to do both at LSU where they let him, he would be the best two-way player in the entire country. Mm -hmm. Crazy to think about. Yeah, he hits bombs. He got a lot of power. I don't know about the rest of his game, but I mean, looking at him as a pitcher, 
couple things stand out. Obviously, when you watch him immediately, it's the velocity. Throwing 100, like you said, 46 times in one game is like Hunter Green does that. And there's not many others that do it at the major league level. And he'd immediately step into that kind of category. So, yes, his secondary stuff might not be Strasburg or Cole-esque coming out. But they also weren't pumping 100 every time they threw a fastball. The second thing that stands out immediately to me when you name those stats, obviously the 209 strikeouts is phenomenal. 20 walks on the season this year, a walk per nine of 1.5 this season. That's something that we talk about all the time in the Nats system where, yeah, this guy's throwing a lot of strikes or this guy's striking people out, but walks a lot of guys, walks a lot of guys. It seems like every single player we talk about in the Nats system, we're talking walks guys, Gore, Gray, even the guys in the minors talking about walking guys. That's not going to be the case with Paul Skeens. The worst he had was his sophomore season when he walked 5.6 per nine, but otherwise he's been around three this season, one and a half per nine walks. So those are the things that stand out. And then the other thing that I really like, and I've brought this up before, if you watch him pitch, his delivery is really simple. You could see an injury possibly coming for Strasburg, just the way that he kind of twerked his body and the way he worked his arms and that inverted W whatever you want to call it that he had in his delivery. There was a little bit of funkiness that you could see, okay, maybe this taxes his arm down the road and not saying that throwing 145 times a game doesn't tax your arm. But when you have a simple, repeatable, easy delivery, it makes you feel a little bit better that maybe this guy can avoid some of those injuries. Cause that's the main concern here. I mean, if you could say for sure, Grant, and I, you know, I think this is obviously one of your concerns when you go arm over bat, the big thing is injury. If you could tell me right now that there were going to be no injury concerns and he would have a Scherzer S career where he's able to pitch every fifth day for the most part for his entire career. I think that no doubt you would go skeins over Cruz just because of how good this guy is in terms of the highest ceiling. I think Skeens is a Cy Young candidate. We're talking about Cruz maybe not being that MVP caliber. When you look on the other side, Paul Skeens is every bit of a Cy Young candidate down the road. Really well said. I mean, Dylan Cruz has the best hit tool in this draft class. Paul Skeens, best pitcher in the draft class. Uh, And while Cruz got on base literally every single game he played in this season, Skeens, as you mentioned, had games where he threw 100 or more 40 times, and we've just never seen anything like it. His average fastball velocity sat at 98 this year and touched 102. Uh, So it's just, it's astounding. If the Nats have to pick between the two, I think they would go Skeens. I spent this week asking a bunch of people who cover the team and around baseball what they think about that. My gut feel from talking to some of the folks with the Nationals as well is just that, you know, Paul Skeens would be their choice if they were choosing between the two because they're such an arm first starting pitching driven organization, but they're in the minority on that. I think, you know, maybe 20 to 25 teams would take Cruz over Skeens. What do you think they would do? I mean, another thing someone brought up to me was, well, Skeens is a celebrity. You know, maybe ownership gets involved. They saw what it was like at the gate to have Strasburg. Every time he pitched, your attendance goes up, right? People travel to see that guy. Literally, they'll they'll come if they know if they're a Reds fan or a Brewers fan and they know Strauss is pitching at Nats Park. Okay, maybe we'll go to that series. Like there is value in that. I mean, as good as Dylan Cruz is, I'm not saying this is why a pick should be made, but I am saying if Mark Lerner or ownership were to get involved in the pick, like Dylan Cruz is not a celebrity. Paul Skeens is. I mean, that that could become a factor, as silly as that sounds. Yeah, I mean, you're not wrong. I mean, Paul Skeens, like we were talking about, is going to be appointment television when he makes his debut. Everyone's going to watch. They're going to hope that he can do the 14 strikeout Strasburg thing because he's just that good. So 
I think that they probably would go Skeens because it just fits with when you think about the Nationals, you think starting pitching, pitching, and that would obviously make sense if you're going to go starting pitching over the uh, the bat there. But at the same point, the last couple drafts, they've gone with some bats. They would have an opportunity to bolster the outfield and you know kind of make it so that Elijah Green last year's pick could almost be a luxury because you could look at it where you've got Cruz and Hassel and Wood, and you've got the three of those guys and hope they can make up your outfield. And if Green turns out to be a stud, then fantastic. You've got a lottery pick on top of it. But I don't I, I don't know that that plays into it, but I, I think that Skeens probably would make the most sense if you just think about the Nationals historically when they've drafted this high, they've gone pitcher, unless it was a guy like Harper that was coming up and uh, Cruz isn't Harper. Before we're joined by Kyle Glazer of Baseball America in just a couple of minutes, I actually want to reference a piece that B.A. did this week. I believe it was their editor-in-chief, J.J. Cooper, who, who did the story. But he basically wrote about the teams that have been the best and the worst at drafting hitters over the years. And the research he did into the Nationals confirms what we knew, but the numbers are just astounding. Since 2012, no team has been worse at drafting and developing into big leaguers, bats. Uh, in terms of hitters that have gotten to the major leagues to make an impact, Washington's not only worse, but they are badly worse. Uh, over the last 11 years of drafts, they have had 13 hitters that they drafted and signed even get to the major leagues, right? So now the draft is 20 rounds. There was one point during that 11-year span where it was a 40-round draft. Only 13 of their bats have ever gotten to the show. You look at the major league production of those 13 guys. If you were to double the runs created, by Nationals drafted hitters at the major league level, they would still be dead last among all the teams in baseball and the production of hitters drafted since 2012. If you were to multiply their runs created by 15, they still would trail the Houston Astros in terms of homegrown drafted developed bats in the production at the major league level. The slash line of the players that they drafted that were hitters that got to the big leagues. 225, 296, 323. I mean, it's sub 300 on base, barely a 300 slug, 29th in batting average, 30th in on base, only 37 home runs. Every other team has produced at least 100 home runs out of their draft picks over that time. And a huge reason for this is that the Nats for a long time didn't draft hitters in the first round. It's not to say that you can't occasionally find one in the fourth or the fifth or the seventh or the 10th round, which they haven't been able to do. But only one first-round position player, basically from 2012 to 2020, and that was Carter Keboom, who they did miss on in the first round, it would appear. He's still in the system. He's had injuries, but he's never really done much when he's been in the big leagues either. But just running through their draft, so in 2011, you know that was after Strauss in 09 and Harper in 10, they took Anthony Rendon. So this stretch that they're evaluating started the next year in 12. They took Lucas Giolito. They eventually flipped him for Adam Eaton. Uh, they didn't have a first-round pick in 13. They took Fetty in 14, who, believe it or not, is kind of the last, quote-unquote, win in the first round that they've had in terms of big league production, although there's a couple guys that I think still will be Ws to be determined. Uh, they didn't have a first-round pick in 15. They took Keyboom in 16, which is an L. They took Seth Romero in 2017 with red flags, and that blew up in their face. Huge L. 2018, Mason Denneberg, lots of injuries, still in Fredericksburg now in the bullpen. Looks like an L. 2019, Jackson Rutledge. We just had him on the pod. It's taken a while, but he's really turned a corner. He just threw shutout ball in five-plus innings in AAA this week, so that could still turn out to mean something. Uh, 2020, Cade Cavalli looks like a win, but he's dealing with TJ. We'll see what he is when he comes back. 
And then finally, as you just said, Toby, we get to the last two drafts where they go, they've gone bad. Brady House is going to be in the Futures game. Is having an awesome year in 2021. That could be their first huge success as a hitter since Anthony Rendon. And then they took Elijah Green in the top five last year. He's striking out 50% of the time, and so far it's been a real struggle. He's actually not playing right now as they evaluate his health and, and try to get him back on the field. But that's just a quick breakdown of the first round over the last decade and change. I bring that up to say this Baseball America story did an unbelievable job at kind of explaining how bad it has been for them in trying to develop bats. And to be completely honest, while that's what they focused on, the pitching side hasn't been a whole lot better. Yeah, I mean, both sides, you mentioned going through those first-round picks. You're like, Eric Fetty was a first-round pick. Like, he's a good player, like solid. But he's he's tearing it up over in Japan right now, but he was never anything that was a front-rotation type guy. And hopefully some of these other guys they drafted recently can turn out to be something. But do you think that plays in at all? Obviously, like you said, it's kind of both sides haven't been developed super well, but especially the bats. You think that would play in at all saying, look, we can draft Dylan Cruz and our development could suck. And this guy's still probably going to be a good baseball player. Well, if you're Rizzo, here's what you might think. It's actually a really interesting point you make. Like, I don't think you don't trust your development staff because there's still a question of is the development staff maybe doing a fine job and the, the picks just aren't good enough, right? Is it buying the groceries or cooking the meal? Like, we don't know. Every situation is different. Some of these are injuries. Uh, they obviously didn't pick as high as they would have liked in round one. But the problem is other teams like the Braves and the Dodgers are constantly finding guys outside of round one, not only in the first round where they draft behind the Nationals, but I mean, Spencer Strider's a fourth-round pick. Like Michael Harris wasn't taken in the first round. You just look at the, the rookie of the year candidates year in and year out from those teams, and they find guys all over their draft, and the Nats need to do a better job of that. But to your point specifically on Cruz with Rizzo, yeah, I think there's something to that. Like, I believe that if you're Mike Rizzo and you're looking at Dylan Cruz and he's there, you go, he's not going to be a – this is not a high schooler or, or, or some guy that needs a swing adjustment where we really need to get our hands on him and spend four years and a lot of money developing him. He'll, he'll spend 60 to 80 games maybe in the minors, and we'll be debating calling him up next year if you're Mike Rizzo, right? I mean, that, that might be part of what the, the, the math is where you look at what J.J. wrote about and what they have on Baseball America as – you you have done a terrible job developing hitters, or, or I shouldn't say that, finding hitters in the draft. Again, we don't know if it's the, the picking of the groceries or, or the, the cooking, but the point is Dylan Cruz is kind of ready to eat. You know, like you don't have to worry a lot about the development with him. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Zoom. Let's go 
chat with Kyle Glazer right now of Baseball America, uh, the great site who's doing so much wonderful draft coverage and who had this big Nats draft story that I was just talking about. It was actually more about all the teams and, and who does well and who doesn't. But let, let's start there before we get into this year's draft. I mean, th- we knew those numbers. I should say we knew the story. We knew that the Nats just haven't done a good enough job in the draft. My God, was that astounding, though. I mean, if, if you multiply their offensive production by 15 times, they still don't equal the Astros? Like, that's insane. Look, it's a problem. The Nationals, you have to give them credit. This study started in 2012. Prior to that, the Nationals did a pretty good job. They drafted Steven Strasburg, Bryce Harper, Anthony Rendon. They hit on a lot of their top picks. But as this team started winning and they moved further and further down the draft order, they really struggled to have those late first round finds like we've seen the Dodgers have, like we've seen some other competitive teams have. So I do think if you're the Nationals, you have to look at really all your processes and say something has not been working here for really the better part of a decade. You know, how much of its drafting versus development is, you know, a question that only they really know the answer to. We did see the Nationals make some player development changes, bolster their player development staff uh, a few years ago. So I think there's a chance that will certainly help. But there's no question you have to do better in the draft, regardless of whether you're a large or small market team, as in terms of just what the Nationals have done when you compare them to other teams around baseball. Well, and looking into that, I mean, we just talked about the Braves having it. You obviously mentioned the Astros. What do you think has been the difference? Obviously, the Nationals have drafted later because during that stretch, they've been fairly successful. But other teams have found players that have come up and been good outside of even the first round. What is it with the Nationals that hasn't allowed them to do that? Look, it's a combination of, of scouting and player development, right? I mean, the short answer is the other teams have just found better players and done a better job developing them. Um, it really doesn't get any more complicated than that. So I think if you're the Nationals, again, it's important to kind of take a, a step back, look at things from a, a clear-eyed point of view and realize it's been bad. Whatever you're doing has not been working. Changes need to be made. And again, to the Nationals' credit, they did make some changes in player development. Uh, Jesse Doherty of the Washington Post wrote about this a little while ago. They had some positions that weren't staffed in the minor leagues. When you look at you know just other teams around baseball, they had all sorts of you know skills coordinators, catching coaches, et cetera, that the Nationals just weren't employing. That was not helping them in player development. That was putting them further behind. But I will say, too, some of the talent wasn't there. I remember in 2021, that Fredericksburg Nationals team, I spoke to an opposing scout who said, it's not like these guys are non-prospects. It's guys who should not be playing professional baseball. That's how bad the Nationals' lower levels of their farm system got. Now, they've obviously bolstered that a little bit with trades. They have beefed up their player development apparatus. And now they're picking higher in the draft. We'll see if they're able to capitalize. You know, Brady House has had a nice bounce back year after, after having an injury plagued year last year. So, you know, we need to see what happens. But there's no sugarcoating it. It was really, really, really bad. And the Nationals made some changes to address it. We'll see if they result in better, uh, better outcomes system has gotten way better to Kyle's point and not only the system when you had really young major leaguers they don't count or help in your rankings right but Mackenzie Gore CJ Abrams uh, those guys are going to be fixtures for years to come Uh, having Luis Garcia who's still very young at the big league level uh, and now you're going to add a top 10 prospect in all of baseball to to a system where you've got James Wood where you've got Robert Hassel who struggled this year but looks like he'll be a contributor in the big leagues so there's some some things on the come up here uh, based mostly on trading Juan Soto, frankly, which I still was on board with and, and hope people are starting to see was not only the right thing to do, but a necessity based on what Kyle was saying, how terrible things were in some ways in the minor leagues. Um, let's go to this year's draft right at the top, though. Kyle Glazer, Baseball America, his crew covers this as well as anyone. 
if the, the 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 Pirates, let's just say they do something wacky, they take Max Clark, okay, and now the Nats are debating between Dylan Cruz and Paul Skeens at number two overall. I want to know what you think they would do, and I want to know what GM Kyle Glazer would do. <laughs> well, first and foremost, I'll say this. There's a lot of belief in the industry right now that the Pirates will take Wyatt Langford, the Florida outfielder with the number one overall pick, and sign him to a slightly below slot deal. So that would give the Nationals their choice of Paul Skeens and Dylan Cruz within the industry. And again, a lot can change in four days. But as of this moment, the belief is Paul Skeens to the Nationals is a quote unquote slam dunk at number two. That's what a senior front office official told me yesterday. I will say this, that you can talk about hitter versus pitcher risk. One thing that has stood out to me throughout this entire draft process, talking to front office officials, talking to scouting directors, talking to people who have a really good track record of success in the game. If you ask them, is Paul Skeens in the same stratosphere as a Garrett Cole, as a Steven Strasburg, you know, the premium pitching prospects, the types of which come around you know, once a decade, they don't hesitate. They say yes, no questions asked. If you ask them, does Dylan Cruz fit with the Adley Rutschmans, the Bryce Harpers, those elite outlier position player prospects, you get kind of split opinions. Now, everyone agrees Dylan Cruz is really, really, really good and should have a very, very good major league career. But there's a lot less hesitation that Paul Skeens is truly a generational talent, whereas Dylan Cruz might be a very, very, very good player. So I think given that, GM Kyle Glazer would say, take the ace. An innings eating ace is the hardest thing to find in all of baseball. And given there does seem to be just that that slight differentiator of this could be that elite face of the franchise kind of talent, I think you have to take that. I know this sounds kind of foolish because Paul Skeens was talking about this the other day. Any chance he would try going two ways here in the major leagues? No, no, not at all. Look, he went completely to pitching at LSU, and that's what led to this jump. He was very, very good at Air Force. Don't get me wrong. But becoming the caliber of pitcher he became this year happened because he put the bat down. You don't want to take a guy this high and say, hey, you have a chance to be a number one caliber starter. Then you start splitting his attention in the minor leagues as he's trying to make that jump after having not done it for a year. And frankly, only doing it against mid-major competition in a very hitter-friendly environment at Air Force. Um, that just wouldn't be smart for the Nationals or his career trajectory. Skeens versus Strasburg and Cole. Yeah. Compare them as prospects. Not, I mean, I, I watched the seasons and the numbers, and I mean, he was historically had a better college season. Coming out as a prospect, is he on the same level as those guys for you? So I, I was not at Baseball America doing prospect work uh, when Strasburg and Cole came out. I was a junior in college when Strasburg came out, and and uh, fresh out of college when Cole came out. So I I can't speak to it personally, having you know evaluated them as prospects to the same level as Skeens. I will say that speaking to evaluators throughout the game who have that history, they say yes, no questions asked. Um, Skeens has every bit the stuff they had, has the durability they had. And importantly, when you compare him with Strasburg, Skeens played much, much tougher competition this year. LSU and the SEC day in and day out. You know, Strasburg, the stuff was going to play no matter what, but he was playing in the Mountain West Conference facing New Mexico, facing Air Force. So there's definitely a sense that Paul Skeens, when you compare him to Strasburg, faced better competition, showed he could do it, and compare him to Cole. Cole did not have a great junior season at UCLA. Uh, there's, you know, more about, okay, the body, the projection, the stuff. Um, but there are some performance questions. We saw him take a little bit to really find his stride in the majors. Uh, had a really good year with Pittsburgh, then fell backward a little bit, got traded to the Astros. That's when he really took off. So there is a sense that Skeens is every bit as good as these guys. 
And given he faced better competition than Strasburg and had a better year than Cole, you can make the argument in some ways that he might be able to impact, make a, an impact in the major leagues even quicker and, and to a greater degree than those guys did, at least off the bat. Let me ask you, sorry, Tobe, I'm going to jump in real quick. I, I have heard, and this is, I mean, we are picking nits, right? We are looking <laughs> at the most beautiful model and we're like, what about her earlobe or something? You know, it's, just like, it's crazy what we're doing now three days before the draft. But I've heard some stuff about pitch shape, you know, the swings right-handed hitters get against him. And then just specific to the comparison with Strauss and Cole, that maybe like they had four pitches coming out, that the secondary repertoire was deeper, or, you know, so that, you know, they were significantly better. Like, what, what do you say to push back against some of that based on what you just said? I say that this is still a college guy who is going to have development ahead of him. He is not a finished product. There's this really, really um, unfortunate dichotomy that people put on the draft where it's high upside high school players who have a ton of development left and college players are safer and they're more finished products. And while it's true to a degree, guys get better. And this is what player development's for. No one who is an ace in college is ready to jump and be an ace in the major leagues. There's still going to be development here. You look at the stuff, you look at the body, you look at the delivery, you look at the physicality. It's all going to play. You can tweak pitch shapes. You can, you know, adjust grips. You can, we see all the time guys, sliders take a, a grade or two jump, but just adjusting their hand position or their release point. Um, you look at everything Paul Skeens can do, everything he has done, the, the athleticism, the size, all of it you're going to take this guy every single day and, and not be too worried about it as long as you do what you should do in player development. Talking with Kyle Glazer from Baseball America. So one thing, if they do throw a curveball and decided to go with Cruz over Skeens, which, you know, the Nationals are a pitcher's organization, so it sounds like it makes all the sense in the world to go with Skeens, the ceiling's higher and all the different things. But assuming they do go with a guy like Cruz, if they do that, what is his ceiling? You mentioned that people around the league think that Skeens can be in that Scherzer type repertoire that that kind of uh, that ceiling but if you look at Cruz he doesn't necessarily match some of the ceiling for everyone that some of these other top prospects have where does he end up being if he is the pick for the Nationals at two yeah there's still a belief that Dylan Cruz has a chance to be a perennial all-star a guy who can potentially play center field but even if he moves to a corner gonna hit for average gonna hit for power you know he's a good runner good athlete can throw really a, a true five tool talent that phrase gets thrown around a lot. In reality, five-tool talents are, are very, very rare. You can count them on one hand. And he has a chance to be one of them. So it, in scouting parlance, talk about the 20 to 80 scouting scale. Paul Skeens, you'll get a, a 70 or a 75, which is a number one or two starter. Dylan Cruz will get more 65s, which is, hey, that's a perennial all-star who is you know among the league leaders in multiple categories every year who's batting the middle of your lineup. So still a really, really, really good player. And you can argue that given the inherent nature of, of injury risk in pitchers, maybe you take that because you feel better about getting that. Whereas just by virtue of the fact he's a pitcher, there's going to be a wider variance of outcomes for Paul Skeens. That's the argument there. Um, but at the end of the day, there is once again a belief the Nationals will make Paul Skeens their pick. And if they do, he has a chance to be a true number one starter, which again is, is the most difficult and rare commodity in baseball today. Well, you mentioned Wyatt Langford's name earlier on when you had said that, you know, Langford has a chance to go 1 1 to Pittsburgh. I'm wondering, he's a little bit of a forgotten man here. I feel like he could have gone first overall in some recent drafts just based on overall talent. Like, if let's say Skeens goes first to the Pirates because they just decide, hey, we're, we can't get aces like this in free agency and we can't even trade for them because we need to keep our prospects. So the only chance we ever have to have a Paul Skeens as a number one like a Garrett Cole is by taking them first overall. So we're going to do that. 
and now the Nats are on the clock. I think they would take Cruz. He's the best player in the country. But, I mean, Langford has more power. As you said, if Cruz does move to a corner, now the, the biggest separator between the two of them is gone anyway, uh, being that they both play in a corner. Should there be more consideration, again, in a non-skeen situation between Langford and Cruz for them, or should they just take Cruz? Yeah, no, it's absolutely fair if they chose Wyatt Langford over Dylan Cruz. This is something I've talked about uh, with you before, Grant. I've talked about a number of other places. What's been said in the public sphere for weeks that Dylan Cruz is the clear-cut number one it does not line up with reality with what front office officials have been saying for months. What we've been talking about at Baseball America for months that Paul Skeens, Dylan Cruz, and Wyatt Langford are all number one caliber type of picks. And there are teams out there who do prefer Wyatt Langford to Dylan Cruz. Again, not a knock on Cruz. That's just how good they believe Wyatt Langford is and can be as a hitter. So if Wyatt Langford went one, two, or three, none of that should be seen as controversial. He is a really, really, really special talent, particularly at the plate, and someone that will be a benefit to any team that uh, he is on. So you talk about Langford going one. Is there any chance that Max Clark slips in there and goes to the Pirates at one? Never say never. Again, so many things can happen, whether negotiations go sideways or there's a a late or surprising medical issue that arises. So never say never. But within the industry, there is a very, very, very strong belief that the Pirates will take one of the three collegians at the top over the high schoolers. And at this moment, the belief is Wyatt Langford would be the pick because he will sign for less than Skeens and Cruz and in some circles is considered a comparable or, or in some cases even equal talent. Yeah, he might sign for a half million, maybe less than Cruz. I've heard, you know, Cruz might look for 9.2, 9.4, something like that. And, and Langford would be sub uh, around eight and a half, you know, under $9 million. So you're talking about maybe saving several hundred thousand dollars the way that it works. And we can explain this more. Um, and not waste Kyle's time to do it, but uh, basically you, you get you know an allowance and and you can divvy that up between all of your picks as you see fit. Uh, along those lines, the Nationals pick for the second time at number forty. Uh, it's impossible to kind of project what they do because we need to see how the board falls. But I guess what I'm wondering is, are there possibilities of some players falling because of signability or some guys that you think might be mid first round talents that end up being around uh, in that area? that could be targeted because you know, I look at Jake Bennett, who they drafted last year, who looks like the real deal out of Oklahoma and is moving quickly through their system. Everyone's focused on the number two pick and they should, they're going to get like the seventh best prospect in baseball on BA's top 100, probably the day after the draft. Uh, but this draft is so much more important than just one player. Like they can continue to really restock the system. If they hit three home runs, all of a sudden, you know, that can move you up five spots in your, in your system rankings. Yeah, you know, you mentioned Jake Bennett. That's a good point. I remember last year leading up to draft day, I was getting some late buzz. Hey, he's moving up. He's moving up. He might go back in the first. Eventually, turned out he went second. But that was still a great pick for the Nationals, essentially getting a guy that some people thought could be a back of the first round talent. In terms of this year's draft, more than players falling because of signability, this is a draft that is very, very, very deep in high school shortstops. There's about a dozen of them that are really, really, really talented all of whom you could say are our first or supplemental first round type of talents, but just due to the fact you also have a really, really good college position player class, plus a few premium pitchers at the top. Some of these guys are going to fall. Not all 12 of them are going to go in the first round. So the nationals by virtue of having a fairly high second round pick, you know, they can reasonably assume that one or two of them will be there. 
and there's an option to potentially get a guy who in other drafts might be a, a back of the first round type of talent to get him in the second round. And just outside of the Nationals, are there any guys that you're looking at outside of, you know, we've talked about Clark, we've talked about Langford, Cruz, Skeens, any guys that maybe are going to go outside the top five, top 10 that you're looking at thinking this guy could really be a stud? Yeah, there's a shortstop, uh, I mentioned the high school shortstop, out in Eaton, Colorado named Walker Martin, um, who a lot of evaluators think has a chance to be one of the best players in this draft class when we look back on it in five years. Uh, he plays in Colorado, not against great competition, so not a baseball hotbed um, as such, kind of went under the radar in some circles. Um, tall left-handed hitter, beautiful swing, plays shortstop now, could move to third. Some people think he has a chance to have a Gunnar Henderson kind of rise. Remember, Gunnar Henderson was uh, the first pick of the second round, ended up being the number one overall prospect in baseball, now a huge part of the Orioles' future plans. Some people think that might be a little lofty. Still see a guy like a Ryan McMahon who's turned out to be a very good player for the Rockies. So keep an eye on Walker Martin. Um, he's someone that, that might go mid-first round and could be a fast riser once he gets into pro ball. Kyle, you are the best. We appreciate you, buddy. Thank you so much, and enjoy what is going to be a wild few days here ahead of the draft. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Kyle A. Glazer on Twitter. Check him out there. He's got a great account, and please read his work over at BaseballAmerica.com. See you later. The Nationals have the third highest bonus pool allotment in this draft, so I did get a request on Twitter for someone to explain how this works so we could do that really quickly before we say goodbye. Uh, the, the way it works is each team, based on where they're picking for the most part, uh, is allotted a bonus pool. So each pick has a value. As an example, the number one pick in this year's draft by the Pittsburgh Pirates is worth $9.7 million. The Nationals, number two overall, uh, slotted at $8.99 million, so about a $9 million value. You add up all your picks and all your values, you get your bonus pool, okay? So the Pirates have the most money to spend in the draft at 16 0.2 million, followed by the Tigers at 15.7 mil, and then the Nationals at 14.5 mil, third most among all the teams. The club's way down at the bottom of the first round. Obviously, the pool is much smaller because the pick, uh, or if you don't have a first round pick, uh, you, you don't, you're, you're missing out on 9 million bucks there. So the Phillies, as an example, only have $5.1 million to spend on their whole draft. Uh, but the way it works is the Nats, with 20 rounds worth of picks, all their selections have 14.5 mil to spend. So they could take someone at number two overall and spend, you know, $300,000 on a player who would have gone in like the 17th round and save all that money. There's no reason to do that. When you hear that the Pirates might quote unquote cut a deal or save money, it just means that rather than spending the expected 9.7 mil with the first overall pick, they could get Langford at 8.5. They've now saved the 1.2 mil and they put that toward the rest of their draft. So it's think about it like an allowance. You get a budget, you get $20, you got 20 picks. You can either divvy it up as expected through the whole 20 picks, or instead of using a dollar on one of the picks you're supposed to spend a buck on, you spend 75 cents. Now you got 25 cents to spend over slot later in the draft. That's essentially how it works. That's how teams get creative, especially Toby the Pirates. A couple of years ago, they passed on Marcelo Meyer at the top of the draft and went with Henry Davis a catcher who's starting for them in right field in the majors already two years later. Yeah. I mean, it's going to be interesting to see with the pirates. That's something that they have to consider. Not something that the nationals will really consider at two. And one thing before we get out of here that I wanted to throw out here, because you know, you see people on Twitter and Nat's Twitter going crazy about various things, whoever the nationals draft at number two, if it's Dylan Cruz, if it's Paul Skeens, it's not a bad thing. 
it's a good thing. So act as such. Like sometimes you see people that get so dialed in on they want the one, whether it's Skeens or Cruz, and they get frustrated when they see anyone saying that the other one might come to DC. I think that's a little bit foolish. You know, even if they go with the the more safe option in Dylan Cruz, it doesn't mean that that's the wrong option instead of going with Paul Skeens and this is a terrible move by Mike Rizzo and vice versa. And I even saw someone say that a, a story that got told about Paul Skeens where he, he supposedly went into the locker room and pointed at various guys and said, I work harder than you. I work harder. That wasn't true. I saw that on TikTok. So I know some people think that he's a bit of a tool because of that. That's not the case. So I, I don't know that we'll see that, but I've seen it before. I've you know I've done it myself as a fan at times where you talk yourself so much into one guy that when the other guy gets picked, you get a little frustrated and you're like, what the heck is Rizzo doing? Rizzo, whoever he decides to go with at number two, and right now it sounds like it's going to be Paul Skeens, that's not the wrong choice. And I think you should be excited about this guy coming into town. I mean, we talked about the ceiling that this guy has. You heard from Kyle scouts are talking about this guy in the same ilk as Max Scherzer and Garrett Cole. Whereas with Dylan Cruz, they're not necessarily saying that he's that same top guy. So, you know, if they go skeins over Cruz, you know, maybe you want the bat over the arm. I get all that, but get excited because Paul skeins is going to be awesome. Either one of these guys is going to be awesome. So I'm excited to see who the Nats get at number two. Yeah. It's a great night. Uh, for Nats fans coming up on Sunday, almost regardless. Assuming they take one of those LSU players, it's going to be hard to be frustrated. I'll even be fired up by Wyatt Langford, but I know that Twitter would melt down uh, if, if they didn't get one of the LSU Tigers. <laughs> you know what? You if imagine. they do say Langford, still be nice, but you know maybe you can have a little meltdown because yeah, we all expect then, LSU guys. <laughs> then you can start throwing some things, I suppose. All right, that'll do it for Bustin' Loose Baseball, episode 65. Big thanks to Kyle Glazer. Next time we talk with you, I'll be in Seattle. Toby will be back here in D.C., and we'll be breaking down what they did in the draft. Well, maybe we'll do an emergency pod uh, late Sunday night or early Monday morning and just make sure we've updated everyone on, on what exactly happened. But enjoy yourselves, enjoy the weekend, and enjoy the draft. Thank you for listening to Bustin' Loose Baseball. Please go rate, review, subscribe to the podcast. We're trying to grow this sucker. Uh, thank you, Nats fans, and we'll talk soon.